Thanks for tuning in to the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today we're going to be speaking with Simon Mitchell. Simon is a physique transformation specialist, and today we're going to be talking about training strategies for muscle growth. Let's talk science. So, Simon, um, yes. for anybody who doesn't know you, any of my followers who might not be familiar with you, would you mind giving us a little bit of an introduction as to who you are, um, what you do, and where you came from? Sure, no problem at all. So uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Simon, Simon Mitchell, and I run a online coaching business called Iron Paradise Fitness. So essentially I am an online, I would class it like a body transformation coach. So that kind of pretty much people that come to me are lose body fat, build muscle, that type of person. But we do have people who are competition powerlifters trying to break world records through to you know just uh, average joe weight loss through to people who are trying to body recomp so kind of a broad spectrum of different people that come through um but my my background originally wasn't in fitness at all um so i had a career in in the corporate world and i was heavily into cycling so i was a a time trialist doing national level time trials and and things like that uh cut a long story short i fell off that bike and literally broke a hip and then in the process of um, rehabilitation um, basically my advice that I'd got from people who were trying to rehabilitate me wasn't great so I ended up kind of going down my own route of nutrition training and things like that I had been in like gym and fitness prior to that but this is kind of like reignited a fire for me to get more into strength training building muscle that sort of stuff and then I went through the process of qualification, setting up a business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, doing MNU from a nutrition perspective. And that kind of led, led me where I am today, um, talking about muscle and podcasting across the world to many different people. And yeah, it's, uh, been, a, it's been a good journey. So here, here I am. Fantastic. So just to give people a bit of a, let's say, a time perspective of when all of this happened, when did you have your injury and when did you kind of start really getting into the the training side of things and kind of focusing on building muscle? Sure. So uh, I guess like when I was uh, in my early 20s, that's when I really started getting into building muscle. Then I had a, a period of five five years of not, I didn't lift a weight for five years. I went and did that's when I went into cycling. Uh, I broke my hip in, I know the exact date, November the 1st, 2014. That's when wow. I broke, broke my hip. Um, and it was literally, I was in the gym eight weeks later. Um, so that was kind of the, basically the doctor said to me, like the quickest you can get back to training, to strengthening and things like that. And I was like, okay, right. I, and I've never been back on a bike since. Um, so then it was kind of diving straight into stuff. So I guess I around about the start of mid 2015, that's kind of when, um, I just really delved into the whole topic. And then I guess more recently, I think as you'll probably be aware, as you know, as a fitness professional, you've gone many different courses about many different topics, nutrition, training, things like that. One that really opened my eyes to how to build muscle was something called RTS, which is stands for Resistance Training Specialist. And if you know people in the industry like Joe Bennett, who's uh, known on Instagram as the hypertrophy coach, people like Cassim uh, Hansen, if you've heard of these people, um, Ben Pakolsky, very well-known people in the fitness industry, 
they've basically gone through that course. That's the grounding of what they know when it comes to building muscle. So I thought, right, okay, I'll go to source. I'll, I'll learn from who these people learned from. So that was the real eye opener for me. And I guess what we'll get into over the course of the next however many minutes is some of the concepts that underpin that, but translating them into a way that's not like super technical that no one will understand more in a way that you can apply it into your training if your goal is to get jacked. Get jacked. And I'm, I'm quite, I think it's quite impressive and everybody should kind of be aware of this because you said kind of you really, really kind of got into things, let's say around 2015, yeah. the, the training side of things. That's quite young in, in training years, let's say. Um, and you built in that time a very, very impressive physique if you don't mind me saying. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be very, very interested to know how you did that, what you've learned over uh, the years. And basically, um, I suppose when we get to the, to the end of it or closer to the end of this conversation, how people can apply some of these things um, for themselves into their own daily life. Um, but I suppose one of the first things that I want to, um, to talk about is for a let's say somebody who's been training for a while let's not not talk exclusively about newbies um sure. or people who are new to, to weightlifting because you know we know that like for most people who haven't lifted weights all they need to do is look at a dumbbell and they can put on a little bit of weight Absolutely. um and that 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 lasts for a very short amount of time um but from your perspective what do you think is probably one of the most important aspects of building muscle and maybe to a another extent, building strength um, from a training perspective. What should people be focusing on first? Yeah, so I would say from, from my perspective for either whether it's my own training or somebody else's training, there are some core principles that I would always follow. And the way I kind of characterize that is a handy little acronym called LIFT which is stands for lock it, which I'll explain what that means, but basically that's to do with the setup of your exercise. Then you're gonna be talking about the intent. Um, then you talk about force and then you talk about tension and tempo. What people's mistake often is, and when people say, okay, oh, I've been training for two years, for example. So for example, I had an email land in my inbox uh, yesterday from a guy saying that he's been training for two years, but he's skinny fat. So my opinion, if you've been training for two years and you haven't built any muscle, you've not been training correctly is the bottom line. Um, so people jump to, okay, how much weight can I lift? And, you know, okay, I'll think about tempo as well. And they miss the two fundamental points, which are the, the start points. Because when you're looking to build muscle, effectively the main thing that you're trying to do is create as much tension as possible within the target muscle that you are trying to work. That's essentially what you're trying to do. So uh, for those who are not aware, you've got origins and insertions on all your muscles. So where does it originate from? So if you're talking like, easy for me to describe a pec while I'm sat here sitting in front of the camera. So it's originating kind of um, down the sternum here and across the clavicle, and you've got an insertion point, two insertion points on your humerus. So your upper arm. So the job of that pec, that pec major is literally to, you, you're trying to get as much tension on the pull of that bone as possible. And that's what you're trying to do. So the issue that a lot of people have is they think externally. So they think externally about 
the bar, the weight? How is this piece of mass moving through space? So when I'm bench pressing, okay, I'll touch the chest or whatever and then push it forward. Okay, that's my rep. But what they're missing out on is no, your body doesn't care about what that bar is doing or what that dumbbell is doing. All it cares about is, well, how much tension is being forcibly created on this muscle? And then that's what will be the, the adaptation that's required then to adapt to that. So if I bring it back to like the beginning, so what I talk about is lock it. So this is like the setup of the exercise and probably like the most important thing, because if you're not set up for an exercise correctly, you're probably not going to execute it effectively. You're not going to build the muscle that you wanted to, and you're not going to get the most out of your training. So there's obviously thousands of different exercises which you would set up completely differently. But I'll give you um, a couple of different examples. So for example, when you're doing a bench press, now the, the thing about the bench press is the amount of force you can create is almost dictated by the opposing force that you get. So for example, think about if you were to bench press, how much could you lift if there was no bench there? That's a good question. <laughs> you, you couldn't really lift anything because the bench provides an opposing force for you to push against. So that's your, your stable base. So when you're thinking about exercises, the ones that offer you that real level of stability enable you to generate more force. Um, another example would be, for example, in a 45 degree leg press um, where you're pushing up that way, how much could you push if there was no backrest there? You'd back when you'd be trying to brace yourself forward you couldn't really lift weight coming this way because you've got no opposing force so when you're setting up for something like a bench press um obviously you've got the bench there you don't have to think about that but things about creating stability for that muscle to be at its best would be something like um pinning your shoulder blades back so if you imagine that you've got a pencil in the middle of your back and you're trying to pull pinch that together with your shoulder blade you're pinning that back that's creating the stable base from which now I can basically bench press from a solid position. Because what a lot of people do is they protract forward with their shoulders, get a lot of front delt in there and so on and so forth. So that's just one tip for um, the bench press. What you'd also do on, a, again, like for a bench press exercise is one of the common things that people get told is that the, the bar has to touch your chest. That's a rep. If it touch my chest, that's a rep people bounce and all sorts of various different sorts of things go on. Now, if you're a power lifter, absolutely 100% true, has to hit the chest because that's a rep. But when you're building muscle, um, you really have to respect your range of motion. So, you know, we're all different. Some people have got long arms, some people have got short femurs, long femurs. And so that makes like these arbitrary rules that people throw around really not applicable. Now, the way I would get you to assess your range of motion on a bench press is to stand up, sit upright like this and get something like a broom, hold it, pin your shoulder blades back and see how far you can pull that broom to your chest. If there is distance between your chest and that bar, then when you come to do the bench press, that's the range of motion you respect. Because if you let it go beyond there and touch your chest, then you are going to be using ligaments, joints, and things like that, that shouldn't be used under load, and you're gonna cause yourself some injury. So 
whatever exercise you're doing, that setup is crucially important because A, you're making sure that the target muscle that you're trying to work is the one that's being worked and B, that you're preventing yourself from being injured. And then you're also creating the most stable base from which you can actually then use that muscle. So that's the first, the first thing is that setup. The other part of that is going to be uh, what we would call alignment. So for example, again, we'll use bench press because everyone can see my upper body. It'd be pointless doing legs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do two different versions of a, of a bench press, right? So if you did a flat bench press, um, you've got these two attachment points on your humerus here. And therefore, what you're trying to do is bring origin and insertion closer together. That's a contracted muscle. So if you think about if I've got two attachment points here, I'm trying to bring this here on my humerus close to this point on my sternum. Basically, I'm going to pull my arm across like that. It's going to go across the front of my body. So that's the job of the pec major is to bring that arm across your chest. That's all you're trying to do. So when you're then thinking about alignment, is you're thinking about, okay, where is my elbow in relation to all of these pec fibers that run across here? So uh, for those who are not aware, like a, the pec is like a fan-shaped muscle. It's got uh, multiple fibers going in lots of different directions. So you want to line up this insertion with where you're trying to work. So if your arm is too far down, it's gonna be lots of upper pec fibers. If it's more like this, it's gonna come across here. It's gonna be more big pec fibers. So that is another, point that you would want to to think about is that alignment process um, so that's kind of like the setup so you think about the have you got a stable brace are you braced yourself as a person ready to move that weight are you to understand your range of motion and then from an alignment point of view are you well aligned and equally for like a incline bench press you want to bias these pec fibers going up towards your clavicle so you bring your elbow down a bit so when you drive through it kind of goes in that direction. So that's the kind of subtle difference that you would have. Um, the second point in the, like the lifting is intent. So when you are about to start a repetition, you need to like mentally connect with, okay, what muscle am I trying to work? And is this the one that's contracting? So whether you're doing a, a dumbbell curl or something like that, then okay, like, am I contracting that muscle before that weight moves? And that makes sure that that's the muscle that's going to work. So whether that is you're doing a leg extension, okay, before I move this leg extension like that, okay, am I contracting my quads? So before this weight moves, the intent is coming from that target muscle. I'm not thinking about, oh, how can I bounce this weight off my chest and just shift it as far in the air as I can? That's not my intent. My intent is to use the pec, it's to use the bicep, it's to use the quad, the glute, the hamstring, whatever it is, is what's the intent you're trying to get. Then once you've got those things all set up, it's then about, okay, right, now I can generate as much force as possible. Now I'm trying to generate power, strength, things like that, from that stable base with the right intent so that the force comes from the right muscle. So that's then putting the tension on the bone. And then you, finish off by thinking about tempos and then maintaining that tension throughout that entire rep. And that would be right, just a wrap up on my already 15 minute ramble. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
when you are thinking about creating tension, uh, it's nothing, not necessarily to do with like time under tension, which is a specific concept where you are literally, you know, counting seconds. You know, you can go fast under tension, you can go slow under tension. What you're trying to do is maintain tension throughout the entirety of a set, not just uh, a rep entirety set. So there's no rest period. You want, when you are building muscle, because it's more about tension, you are trying to make this as difficult as possible. Your body doesn't like that. So if you haven't got a stable base, if you haven't got all these sorts of things, other muscles and other things start getting involved. When it gets difficult, your body kind of poops itself and wants to do something else. You've got to be stable and, and control it. Um, and creating that tension is going to be difficult. You're putting your body through something it doesn't necessarily want to do. Now, the difference where you'll then think like a power lifter is, okay, you might do similar movements, like you might both do deadlifts, might both do bench pressing and so on and so forth. The difference between a powerlifter and a bodybuilder is that a bodybuilder wants to make that exercise as hard as possible. It should do. Powerlifter wants to make it as easy as possible. So they're doing the same movement, but the powerlifter says, okay, how can I lift this weight from A to B in the easiest way possible with the most amount of weight? Whereas a bodybuilder says, how can I make this exercise as difficult as possible for the muscle I'm trying to work? And it's two different concepts. And that's why when I, I started at the beginning is that you need to think internally, not externally. So a power lifter thinks externally. So the deadlift, the bar has to come from floor to up. That's it. That's all. No one's interested in what muscles working and it's just get that weight moving. Whereas someone who's trying to specifically build muscle should be thinking, okay, forget the bar, forget the paraphernalia that I've decided to use for this exercise. My body doesn't know if I'm using a dumbbell, if I'm using a barbell, if I'm using a machine, it just doesn't know. All it knows is tension and how can I create the most amount of tension possible for this particular muscle to then move. And then once you start building on those principles, you build muscle. I suppose um, like one of, one of the main points that you mentioned there kind of starting from the start was a, a huge focus on the way in which you lift the weight itself. Um, yeah. and, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but like uh, I, I would say like a massive emphasis on technique. Mm -hmm. um, once somebody has, let's say, has nailed their technique and that they, they've got a solid base from which to build, um, how important is technique versus the intensity of training that somebody sure. puts into, the, into their workout? Yeah, so um, you, I think like you're always, you strive for both. So you really should be striving to increase the number of repetitions you do, the, the weight you put on a bar, a dumbbell, or whatever it is that you're doing. So you're trying to increase that intensity continuously over time. So you're progressively overloading that muscle but you should also be aiming for a pb of form and exercise execution at the same time so when you put more weight on the bar or you go for that extra rep it should be under the context that you're not sacrificing the form that you've created to achieve that now there is a balance to be had because you know you could spend the rest of your training life with the pink dumbbells you know, only doing like uh, two and a half kilos because you just want to get everything absolutely perfect. 
there is a time and a place when, okay, well, my form is probably, maybe it's, it's an eight out of 10, but that's good enough to push some extra weight. Because at some point when you are building muscle, you have to push some weight, whether you're male, female, whatever the goal is, you're gonna have to push some weight. It's just a case of like, is your form good enough to do that? And yes, form is super, super important, and but also progressing more weight, more strength, uh, more load on the bar is is important too. It's, it's about striking that little bit of a balance. Um, there's a couple of points I want to draw on just from what you've said there. But the first is, so personally, I, I know a couple of people who have, um, I'm going to say almost overly fixated on the form and technique that they use uh, for their exercises. And due to that fixation on technique, they haven't progressed as much as they would like. Um, have you ever encountered anybody like that in your in your career as a coach? And what would you say to somebody like that um, to kind of help them change their mentality um, and get them moving heavier weights? Yeah, so I think that if I, if I was specifically coaching them, let's say in that example, you, you'd start with video. So, okay, show me a video of this form that's... Um, picture perfect okay then it might be case of just just push some weight see what happens um and i think that if if you are overly obsessed with form then uh, you know if you are not progressing so you're not able to do an extra repetition or you're not able to add weight to the bar or, or something like that um then is at the detriment to to your actual progress and i think that Obsession with form is, it's okay, but if it's if it's too un, unnecessarily fixated, then it's just holding you back. And I think that I would have an honest conversation with someone like that to say that at some point you've got to shift some weight and you don't have to have technique that is 10 out of 10 for every repetition. Um, yes, you know, when you get into third set of bench presses, and you're at that time in your program where you want to push right right to failure, is your form going to be A1? No, it's not. It's just you don't need it. You don't need it to be 10 out of 10 all the time. It's okay to be, all right, for that last little rep, 8 out of 10 is fine for me. And if you've got like a spotter as well, who can, if they're a good spotter and they're um, helping you through those difficult reps to make sure you're not going to injure yourself, then again, that's that's beneficial too. So it's it's all about like um, I guess I think about it on a bit of a like a con a continuum. Like you know, you're all striving for, for perfection. No one will ever get ten out of ten in terms of their form. There's always something you can tweak, always something you could do a slightly little bit better. So if you're always waiting for that moment that all right, this is going to be genius. I'm going to you know be the best form dude in the world, but you're only ever lifting the bar then it's pointless. So sometimes you're saying to yourself, right, okay, um, um, let's talk about bench press. Okay, I've got my shoulder blades pinned back. I'm driving my bicep across my chest and thinking about the intent. I'm thinking I've got force, I've got that nailed. I feel like my form is like this seven, eight out of 10 if you were to score it. Now I'm just gonna start to kind of lift weight. Because the other thing is that basically, um, I think it's like in, it's in Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is behind me just there. Um, he talks about there was uh, I think it's like a university professor or something like that 
who split his students into two groups. And one group was going to be graded on the quality of their pictures that they were going to, they were photography students, graded on the quality of their pictures. So they only had to submit one picture, just submit your best picture. And that's it. You'll get graded on that one picture. Then the other group were going to be graded on like quantity. Now, the group that basically went out and just took loads of pictures, they learned by doing. They learned by taking more pictures. They learned, they tried different things. They experimented with different, I don't know, photography, but different stuff that's photography related. Um, whereas the group that were just like pontificating about what would be the best shot ever actually produce worse quality pictures than the quantity so sometimes like if you're always just spending your time thinking about how to train better and thinking about or oh, how could i tweak this and do that and if you're always just thinking about it instead of okay right i've got to a point where i know what i'm doing now i'm just going to try and just keep practicing. I'm going to keep trying stuff. I'm going to do this. I'm going to see what happens if I increase the weight on the bar or try this exercise or try to stimulate the muscle slightly differently. I'm going to do all these different things is that the more repetitions you put in, then, you know, the, the better you will actually become further down the line, I would say. I suppose um, kind of a, a way to kind of summarize that is that a, an overt fixation on perfection is just not conductive to progress yeah. in general. Yeah, we're never going to be perfect. And that's true with anything, I think. But yeah, yeah absolutely. Very good. You, you mentioned something earlier on, um, a phrase, and it was uh, progressive overload. And mm -hmm. just because I think it might be um, important for the rest of the conversation we're going to have, would you be able to explain what progressive overload is to anybody who might not uh, be familiar with the term, please? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so progressive overload is effectively the main way in which you are going to to build muscle so you're creating this mechanical tension on specific muscles and what you want to do is you want to eat keep increasing that level of tension that you are placing on that muscle and these ways easiest way to think about progressive overload is that you are continually challenging that muscle more and more and more now that might be if you've got 100 kilos on a bar and you did eight reps last week, if you did nine reps the week after with the same 100 kilos, that's progressively overloading that muscle just by one more repetition. So you can progressively overload through those repetitions. You can progressively overload through um, more weight. So you could do eight repetitions of 100 kilos one week, and then next week you do 105 and you do eight repetitions. That's progressively overloading that muscle just by virtue of weight. You can also do it with set volume. So if you did 100 kilos times eight, three times one week, and you did it four times the next week, you've added more training volume to that particular muscle. You'll keep, you're continually overloading it. And then the, you can, and you can do a combination of all three. So you could do reps, weight, and sets if you wanted to really push it. Um, so that's kind of how you would think about progressive overload. The fourth one, which people don't think about is the, the execution of the exercise so when you think about okay well if i could again you're working on those things kind of alluding to your point earlier about you know not necessarily over focusing on form but knowing that it's an important component part is that if i can increase reps weight sets and how well i execute that exercise that's a fourth form of progressive overload so if i can perform the bench press the squat whatever 
so that my use those target muscles more than theoretically I'm creating more tension, therefore I'm creating more progressive overload. So it's about more more training volume going through the muscle is progressive overload. Okay, fantastic. Um, so the, the examples that you gave there, you were talking about increasing um, either reps, sets, um, uh, increasing the amount of weight. So somebody wants to, let's say, increase muscle size. We're talking about increasing volume based on those sets, reps, or, or, or weight over time. Um, does it ever get to a point when somebody's training hard and they've been training hard for a while that doing that is counterproductive? Um, and if some if somebody hits a stage like that where you know they're not seeing any more gain gains in strength or or, or muscle size, uh, and they might even be seeing kind of like some kind of a, a negative de degeneration, why would that be happening? And and what can somebody do within their programming to um, to avoid that? Yeah, so I think that there's a case where um, a lot of people may make the mistake of just making every workout like just maximum intensity. And so they just, you know, say, okay, take every set to failure and I'm just going to train as hard as I possibly can from day one. I'm just going to keep that intensity right up there. Um, and that just over time, that's just going to fatigue you, your joints, your central nervous system. It's just going to basically wear you out to the point that you can't really recover effectively from the, that, training volume you are continually giving yourself and you can't recover from it effectively to keep progressing you're just going to hit um, plateau after plateau after plateau that's probably going to hold you back from achieving what you want to achieve so the way i would think about it slightly differently would be generally i would program in 12 week blocks so i would think about 12 weeks worth of training over which i would break that and it depends on the person but either into a six week or four week chunks so two six week or three four week chunks that 12 week and then you'll be looking to systematically program in more volume now that could come with you were targeting more repetitions so for example you could say well i know i can lift this amount of weight for 10 repetitions so i'm just going to do slightly fewer repetitions um, for this particular phase of my training. So you're purposely holding back in that first four weeks. Then you start to increase incrementally over the course of the remaining eight weeks. And that gets you to a point where you've reached a, you know, really intense level of training come that final four week cycle. Then at that point, you would give yourself a deload, at least a deload week, maybe even two, three or four weeks of um, break. Now, what would then happen is if you think if you think about it in like in steps, so you go four weeks would go up, um, so your 12 weeks would go like that, and then your deload might come down a bit. So you might actually start the next phase slightly lower than when you finished the last, but it should be higher than when you started the first phase. So again, you might go up, slightly down, and then do your little deload, and then you go up again. So you have these different sort of step cycles like that, rather than just trying to, jacking training right up up here and going way beyond the point at which you can recover from from stuff and then hey that's it you kind of you'll just hit burnout so yeah someone kind of commented about overreaching so yeah that's basically what it is um, basically so, I, so it's sorry yeah go on 
Yeah, so uh, just a comment there about overreaching. So, um, so yeah, so overreaching is like pushing yourself beyond or pushing yourself right right up to that maximum point. And you do want to do that at some point. You know, there's purposeful reasons why you would overreach, um, but you you don't want to do that all the time. Uh, it's just, it just doesn't necessarily make any sense. So it's basically it's almost uh, if you think of a, a two two or three steps forward, one step back to yeah. allow yourself to continue make progress over time yeah so okay. for example like like my training right now is um i'm doing a three month muscle building phase and that will be followed by a four week one week deload and three week what i would call uh, resensitizing and that's just allowing my like central nervous system to recover it's allowing my muscles my joints everything to recover and i may spend that time not necessarily lifting, I won't be lifting super heavy, but I will be focusing maybe a lot more purposefully on technique and, and, and feel of that exercise before then going into another 12 weeks of trying to push like as much weight as I, I can progressively over that 12 week period. I, I think just for, for any kind of newer lifters or people kind of m more new to, uh, to weightlifting, um, the approach that you're taking is very, very much a long-term approach. You're not trying to get all of the strength and all of the, the, the muscle gains that you can in a, you know, in a four-week period. You realize that you're, you're, you have a, a long-term goal and you're, you're literally planning for it within your training. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when you're, when you're a beginner uh, and a newbie, you can pretty much swing a cat around your head and you'll build some muscle. So... Um, it's more of a case of, you know, like what we're talking about here is if you're, you know, at, at the stage that maybe like I'm at or, you know, somebody else is at who's maybe sort of that intermediate, higher intermediate advanced kind of level is that you're really spending a year toiling away for very little gain, especially if you're doing it naturally. You're not really going to get a huge amount of muscle growth. You spend a lot of time in the gym pushing a lot of weight for not much return. So that's why um so um it's a case of you're toiling away very and you have to be very systematic with that approach because otherwise you don't get that um that growth so if i was a beginner or if you were training as a beginner or something like that then it's a case of you can do very very simple training and very very simple exercises um, and create a very solid program from doing things in a much, much simpler way. And you will make progress, a lot of progress over a year, over you know, two years, three years, whatever. You know, when you are in your first year of proper training, and I always say proper training because some people say I've been training for five years, but if you're doing training for five years badly, you're still at year one. Um, and so if you're training for that first year, you're, I think like there's, I forget the exact numbers, but they say it's something like 40% of your genetic potential comes in year one. Then 20% of your gen genetic potential comes in year two, and then you've got a sliding scale after that. Um, so really, if you do everything well, and doing everything well in like year one doesn't mean um, being like super complicated with everything. It just means like getting the nutrition on right, being consistent in the gym, pushing hard, you will make huge amounts of progress in that first year, but you just got to make sure you're, you're not necessarily pushing way too hard um, and you're kind of being sensible about stuff.
Go swing, okay. swing some cats. <laughs> this is going to be the uh, new training rage, by the way. Cats <laughs> swinging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, so I suppose just kind of moving away from uh, you, your thoughts on, let's say, programming of exercises um, and more onto the, the actual kind of routines that you would recommend for people. And what are your thoughts on um, the training splits that a lot of beginners start their, their lifting career with these days? Because obviously you, you, you can go online to a variety of different websites and sure. pick up um, a training split um, that was apparently designed by, you know, one of the greatest bodybuilders um, on the face of the earth that you've never heard of um, with all of his secrets. Um, what are your thoughts on some of these splits? Um, uh, and do you think they're effective? And if not, what do you think people should be doing instead? Yeah, cool. Um, so I think that pretty much um, most training splits are effective. So most training splits, you'll build muscle because you're in a gym, you're moving some weight, you're moving mass in multiple directions, you'll build some muscle. Is that optimal? Is that the right exercise program for you in your situation? I think that's more the nuanced answer. So if you are a beginner, I would definitely steer clear of things like what we would call bro splits, which is a muscle part per session. So chest day, back day, arm day, leg day, all that sort of stuff. Don't You don't need that as a beginner. It's really kind of not going to be as optimal. So when you're a beginner, the thing that you really want to do is have the, some basic exercises that are going to be the biggest bang for your buck. So think compound exercises, shoulder press, bench press, deadlift, um, those types of things. You don't necessarily have to do those specific ones, but you get the idea. Now, the more frequently you can do those and the more repeat times you can do those specific exercises per week is going to be advantageous because you are essentially learning movement patterns. So, for example, if you're doing some sort of hinging pattern, like a deadlift that gives you a hinging pattern, um, you've got like a push with the legs with, with squat, you've got a push with bench press, you've got a pull with some sort of rowing movement, uh, you've got a vertical push with the shoulder press. These are all like movement patterns. And you want to rehearse those movement patterns multiple times per week. So realistically, a total body workout three or four times a week, depending on how many rest days you, you put into that, is an ideal way for a beginner to start because you get repetition of exercise, you get frequency, and you get exercises that are going to be the most bang for your buck. So that's where I would start if I was a beginner, some sort of total body program. Then as I progress through, and this is like sweeping generalizations, by the way. So um, uh, take it with a, a grain or two of salt. Now, <laughs> when, when you get at, you will find that you do total body workouts for, let's say you do it for a year, and then you start to, you see the, your progress start to slow a little bit. And that might be then, okay, now I need to get some more specifics into my training. That's when I would go and do something like push-pull legs. So, you know, upper body push, upper body pull, and then a, a leg day. And then do that. And again, like you, you got those three workouts. If you're doing four or five, just repeat and just go around in a cycle. And it's going to sound really, really boring, but I literally do that for a decade. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, then come to say, right, okay, I've now been training for 
11 years. So, and, and this is like how long it takes really. Um, so I've been training for 11 years now and what's my lagging body part? Okay, right, I haven't got enough um, biceps, whatever. Okay, so I'm gonna do a program that specifically builds me some biceps. And this is like, I think an important point because a lot of people think that um, they have to get like real specifics, like, oh, I've got this lagging body part when they've only been training for like two years. It's like, come on, you know, okay. Unless you've got some real like genetic weird shit going on, you can kind of not really worry about that stuff for too soon. So literally like a push-pull legs or a variation of that, maybe like upper, lower. So you do an upper body workout, lower body, upper body, lower body, something like that. So they'll be like the general starting points I would start with most people. Again, like that's huge sweeping generalization. So there will be nuances and differences. One of the other things that underpins everything a bit like it does nutrition is adherence. So I could write you the best training program in the world that was total body, but I've had people come to me and say, I just don't like total body workouts. I prefer something different. Okay, cool. So if, if total body workout on paper gets you the best results, but it's not something that you enjoy and you won't give it your all. I prefer to give you something that was maybe not as good, but that's going to be infinitely better if you're completely bought into it and you give it your all week in, week out, and you'll make way more progress in the long term. So, so there's that. But generally speaking, I would start with total body workouts for beginners. When they start to see progress, they got, start to get confidence in the gym. Then I would push them onto either upper lower splits or push pull leg splits. And then um, obviously I'm exaggerating, but like 10 years later we'd revisit their program, but that's an exaggeration people. I don't, I don't cast people to one side for 10 years. But, but, but even at that, like uh, I think just highlighting the fact that it's 10 years, you're saying to people that this is a process that is going to take time yeah. and consistency as, as, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, so it definitely takes time and you'll see, a, you should see a, a decent amount of progress in those those first years and then it will start to tail off. Then it starts to get tough and that's why um, you've got to enjoy what you do when you go to the gym. If you enjoy it, like for me, like geeking out on how exercise mechanics work and why this exercise is better than that exercise and how do I make this better for a client and how do I do this, that and the other, that sort of stuff is what gets me out of bed in the morning. So I don't mind the fact that it takes years to build muscle because I just like spending time in the gym lifting weights. So if you love that process and you love that the exercise that you do, you will stick to it long term. And then it kind of, to me then, the actual end result, the goal, in, in my own mind, it doesn't matter how long it takes to get that goal. It's just say, you know, when I, I probably never will stop training, but when you get to that point to say, well, I'm too old now to think about building any muscle that I'm hit, I enjoyed the, the 15, 20 years that I trained and I enjoyed every day I went to the gym and whatever the results will be, will be. I don't necessarily have a goal of saying, oh, I want to add two inches to my biceps by the end of Christmas or something like that. It's just, it'll be where it'll be. I go to the gym. I have the training mapped out, I push hard, I do what I have to do. I enjoy, I love that process. 
and the results will be what they will be. And I think if you come at it with that process to say, right, okay, I've got this total body training program of a beginner or whatever. If I push hard at this as coaches told me or whatever, and I push hard, I do the right things with my nutrition, the results will be what they will be. And if you do it right and you love that process, they'll be good. So that's kind of how I, I don't know, I can't even remember what your question was, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I, I think that's, I think that's an excellent way of looking at training because uh, just from my own experience with others, I, I see so many people who see the gym as almost a, a torturous process that they have to go through to get to a certain point, be it to lose a little bit of body fat or to put on some muscles. And I see so few people enjoying the process as they go along. Um, I just think that what, what you said there is, is, is really, really important for people to, uh, to realize as well. You're supposed to be enjoying what you're doing. And if you're not, you know, maybe take up something else like rollerblading. Um, yeah, Zumba. Uh, <laughs> Zumba, there you go, exactly. Um, just on that, so okay, let's talk a little bit more specifically about growing muscles. And one of the kind of more frequent questions that I get from people is what kind of set ranges and rep ranges should somebody be working in um, if they really, really want to put on as much muscle as possible? Sure. Um, so let's start with, start with reps first. Um, so I, I'll answer this in two ways. Um, when you look at the research into hypertrophy, um, so, so building muscle, people aren't aware of the terminology, um, any repetition between four and about 30 will build muscle. It's quite a range. It's, it literally doesn't matter. So um, it's a case of, so, and that's under the, the umbrella that whether you pick six to eight repetitions or 15 to 20 repetitions, you are pushing to the same level of intensity. So let's use failure as an example. If you're pushing to failure at six to eight repetitions, then you'll get the same muscle response is if you push to failure at 30 repetitions. So as long as the intensity and the overall training volume is equated, it doesn't really matter what rep range you pick. Now, that's the, the research, but as you'll know from a nutrition perspective, there's also a practical implication, uh, application of that research. Now, I've never met somebody who really, really wants to do 30 repetitions of squats. Or something like that. Oh no, I know. I really love to do thirty squats and stuff like that. To the to the absolute failure. It just doesn't seem like a practical thing to do in the gym. Which is why you would probably say you would use a broad range of rep ranges. So it might be a case like, for example, um, I use like a client example. I maybe start a beginner on higher rep ranges. So it forces them to use lighter weights. So while I want to get that person to be um, used to exercise and used to actually um, moving weight and understanding their own body and how you know mechanics work, they're forced to use light to, lighter weights. But I know that in a 12 to 15 rep range, they're still building muscle. Then once I'm confident that they're getting a bit more in tune, I might move them down to 10 to 12, I might move them down to eight to 10. If it's a big, heavy compound movement, like a deadlift or a squat, might even go down to six to eight, four to six, something like that. And within a training program, again, I might vary it. For example, uh, a bench press lends itself to like, moving a heavy weight. 
just because it's a multi-joint movement, it, you can move a lot of mass with a bench press. A shoulder raise, shoulder, uh, side shoulder raise, very difficult to, for you to lift a heavy weight and maintain solid form. So from a practical application point of view, that says, okay, I'm gonna program in uh, lighter weights, higher reps for that side delt, because it's such a small muscle. Uh, you've got visions of someone kind of doing that if you said lift a heavy <laughs> weight. So, so yes, the, the short answer is you can build muscle in any range between four to 30, but take that and then use practical applications. So think about, okay, what exercise is it that I'm about to do? And what's the logical reasoning behind me picking this rep range? And, you know, is it logical? And, you know, one sort of short thing you could do is say like, for example, compound movements, maybe tend towards a slightly lower end. Isolation movements, maybe tend towards a slightly higher end. So that's kind of how I would think about that. The second part to that question is if, if you can't do one rep correctly, the rest of it didn't matter. So that's where like the execution comes in. And so there's a phrase that is popularized that get one rep perfect and then move on. You know, you, uh, you earn the right to, to, to do more. So, um, yeah, there'd be two aspects to it. So yeah, four to 30 plus make sure you can do one rep. Well, don't do 30 shitty ones. Yeah. That's, that's hopefully people will be uh, getting more than one rep well as well. If they're doing, especially if they're doing 30, um, I have to say when you mentioned 30, uh, 30 reps for squats, I did throw up a little in my mouth, uh, as you said, that. <laughs> just the thought of it. Um, Moving on from rep ranges then, uh, you, you did mention compound and isolation movements there. What's your, what are your thoughts on the importance of exercise selection when somebody is, is trying to build muscle? So I, I think exercise selection is, is hugely important after some of the things we've talked about in terms of like the setup and things like that um, for a lot of different reasons. And maybe I'll, I don't go too technical, but... Um, I would say that for a beginner, it's less important. So for a beginner, it's more important just to, okay, get, let's get used to lifting some weight. Let's use some exercises that give us the most bang for our buck, squats, those sorts of things that are gonna help us move some mass, build some muscle, and we're gonna get lots out of the time we've got in the gym. Um, when you get a little bit more deeper into it, then you're thinking about, um, just before I go, how, how, how technical do you want me to go, by the way? into the detail or stay, stay above the detail don't go super technical but go into enough detail that people can go ah okay okay so so let me so let me give you a little bit of a hopefully give you a light bulb moment here then right so mm -hmm. when when you think about you think about exercises and muscles so let's look at a squat Right now, when you do it, when you perform a squat, you stand upright and then you squat down. Now, when you are in that bottom position, your ass is near the grass. You are your muscle as it is as its most disadvantaged position. So you are at your weakest at that position. Your quad, your glutes, hamstrings, all at their weakest at that point in that deep section of the squat. Now. That's the muscle. So the muscle is at its weakest there. When you're stood up, everything's nicely aligned. You're nice and strong. So you go from strong to weak to strong. That's the, the profile of your muscle. 
Now, when you actually look at the exercise, irrespective of the person that's moving it, it's the opposite. So that exercise is easiest when you are stood up and it's hardest when you are um, deep into that squat. So the mechanics of that exercise, you could argue from a pure hypertrophy perspective is not optimal because what you really want to say is, okay, right, when I'm at this point where I'm stood up and this exercise is now easy, now when I go down here, it's really, really hard. So when I push out of that squat, actually I'm getting a rest here because the, the higher I lift my ass off the ground, the easier this exercise is getting. Now, if you go back to what we said before about creating tension through a rep, you've lost a good degree of tension through that, that movement. So from a pure muscle building and a hypertrophy perspective, you could argue that that squat is not a fully effective exercise for getting what we call a full range challenge. Now, how to uh, get around that would be the two ways to get around that. One is programming. So you, you would know from a, like a coach's perspective that, okay, if that's weak, if that's, um, I'm getting a little bit of a rest here. When you get to this top position, that's what you call the shortened position. So for effectively you've, um, shortened the distance between origin insertion to its, um, shortest point, then what happens there is you're getting that rest in that shortened position. So therefore you would pair that with something like a leg extension. So the leg extension, when you lift the leg up like that, is basically then putting your body or that quad into a shortened position and creating a challenge where the squat didn't. So in terms of working your quad through that full range of motion to its most uh, optimal level, is that pairing the squat with the leg extension would make that a full range challenge for your quad. So that's where exercise selection becomes really important. And that's where like a, a good coach would look at programming from that point of view to say, right, okay, well pair this exercise with that exercise that gets us our full range challenge, et cetera, et cetera. The other way you could do it is to modify the squat. Now, the way you could modify the squat is, uh, let's say for example, um, chains. So chains sounds sexy. It's cool. It's manly. So you can get uh, some gyms. Uh, you could do this with bands as well. So I use bands in the gym. Um, so chains, for example, they each one usually weighs 20 kilos, right? Now we think about the original version of the squat. The weight you decide to put on that bar is dictated by what you can lift when you're at the bottom. So. When I'm at the bottom of that squat, what weight can I lift so that I don't crash through to the floor? So that's where, when you start to stand up, it gets easier because you get stronger. Now, if you put chains on the end of the bar, that they're basically slack when you're down in that squat. When you start to rise, the chains come off the floor and add weight to the bar. So as you're standing up, that weight is getting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. So you are actually now getting a challenge through the entire range of the squat. You can do the same things with bands hanging from a squat rack or something like that. You loop bands round. Then as you go down into the squat, they actually take weight off of the bar. So that weight gets lighter as you get further down and then it increases as you get further up. So from a hypertrophy point of view, 
you can either pair exercises with certain exercises to make sure you're getting full range challenges, or you can modify exercises to make sure that you are maintaining tension throughout an entire exercise. So exercise is hugely important for that reason. Um, and then like for an alignment point of view, so is it working the muscle that I'm trying to work point of view? Exercise selection is important. Um, and then in terms of the actual, you know, how you describe that exercise to someone is hugely important. So I'll give you a quick example. Um, bicep curl. Bicep curl is one. I think that most people do a bicep curl wrong. Um, sit in the gym every single day. Now, I, I, I would never program a barbell bicep curl for anybody. I say anybody, maybe there's some people, but I generally wouldn't. Now, that's because when you uh, supinate your wrist, so you supinate is turn it over. So like you're carrying a bowl of soup, supinate, carry a bowl of soup. There you go. <laughs> you'll, you'll never forget that. <laughs> so when you supinate your wrist uh, like that, then it looks flat. It looks flat. But actually, if you put a line on it, actually, it goes up that way. So when you then put a barbell in your hand, you because of the weight of that bar and it's fixed, you over rotate your wrist joint to the point where now that's going to cause you some pain. And if you do that for long enough for years, you'll give yourself some wrist pain. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who have that issue as well. Um, and you're going to then get into a situation where, for example, if you do it, I'm going to stand up now. Train with Simon. Um, so when you do, when you do like any sort of curl, so if your arms are by your side like this, um, so just relax naturally. If you've, you've got your hands in a neutral position, so like thumbs facing forward. If you then supinate that your wrist over so that your palms are facing forward, you create an angle between basically your forearm slash wrist area and your hip. There's an angle there. That's called your carrying angle. So think about like carrying your shopping. So that's your carrying angle. If I've now put a barbell, which is a fixed metal bar that I can't manipulate in any way in my hands, and then I curl that, what is going to happen is that my forearm shoots in one direction that is not in alignment with my bicep. And that's going to put a huge amount of load onto the inside of my elbow. So a lot of people, when not necessarily when they're first training because they're young and you know they don't give a shit, but when you're a bit older, like me, and you're 40 and joints matter, then that accumulated pain that you get in there is gonna cause you some issues. So generally speaking, I would never program a barbell bicep curl for that reason. Now there's some people where just the mechanics of their arm or whatever, it will suit them, it'll work well. And, but that's like the, the anomaly. And that's where like understanding exercise selection for your own body matters because some people it will work, but for the vast majority it won't. So when it becomes, so if you wanna work a bicep, I would tend to use a dumbbell. Now you still got the same issue. If I do that with a dumbbell, that same movement, that's an issue. So the way to combat this, and this is the way that I would teach someone how to do a dumbbell curl, is instead of standing bolt upright, lean to one side. So as soon as I lean to one side, I've created this perfect alignment between forearm and bicep. And then when I curl straight up, forearm is completely in line with the bicep. And that's like one of the key principles of alignment that we spoke about right back at the beginning is, is the weight in my hand 
aligned with the muscle that I'm trying to work. So I'm trying to work this bicep. So I want that dumbbell and that forearm, that lower portion of my arm to be in one direction. And um, how I do that is by leaning to that side like that. And I can then perform that exercise like that. So that's like just one example of why exercise selection is important and why mechanics and understanding your own your own body and your own body mechanics matters if you want to build muscle. So, you know, and you can you can go to the nth degree on side delts, on chest, on all different sorts of exercises. So like um uh if you want to work your like lats is like I think lat I mean I say it's really interesting, everyone else again, ah it's fucking boring mate. <laughs> but <laughs> your your lat is a fan-shaped muscle. So I'm not sure oh, I'm pointing at stuff. It's just, if you listen on a podcast, you're missing out. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so the, the lat is a fan-shaped muscle. So it stretches again from your, your humerus, so the back of your upper arm. And if you think about it, it's like a flagpole. So your like, spine is the flagpole, and then your lat is the flag that's reaching out from the pole. It's this like wingspan that you get. Now, it actually attaches like into the spine, but also round the back. Now, again, if you're watching this or listening to this, you can go and impress your, your friend, friends in the gym with your newfound knowledge, right? So what you're trying to do, again, is bring origin and insertion closer together. So I want to bring this point of my humerus closer to my spine. That's what I want to do in a lap pull down. If you all just kind of reach your arm out like that and pull that down like that, that's going to feel you in your lap straight away. You don't even have to have a weight. Now, what people do to try and chain their back is they get the V bar thing in attachment, either in a lap pull down like that or in a cable row like that. Now, the issue you've got with that, as you've seen there, just by me pulling that V bar thing in, my elbows go out at the end. As I bring that close to my chest, my elbows go out. So what I've actually done to my lat is I've brought the origins and insertion together, then I've pulled them further away. So I've lost tension in my lat, and that's now become um, a bicep exercise. My audio's gone, whose audio's gone faint? My audio? My audio's gone faint. Just a little bit. Okay, I think my, my batteries on my headphones could be going. Um, okay, we're, we're still good though. Okay, cool. um, so, so yeah, so that V bar thing, useless, throw it away. Um, <laughs> so, what, what would be better? So, if you did like a single arm, what you would be able to do is you would be able to manipulate your body so that you could pull that weight down to get to that point to there, and you would lean over to one side, and then you'd also Think about pulling your elbow into the middle of the, your back at the bottom. So you rotate like that. So that's pulling that lap even closer to insertion. And if you just did that without weight, you should still feel that. Now I can feel that just by doing that and then pulling that in. So you're creating this, you know, you're, you're discarding all of these like um, preconceptions about exercise that Oh, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do a lap pull down because it's got to touch there. And it's just nonsense. So you've got to think about, okay, how do I manipulate this exercise for me to work this muscle? And it would be those sorts of things that 
um, I, I would be thinking about that. I mean, that's like obviously slightly more advanced. Again, like beginner, just move some weight. Just get used to exercise, get used to solid um, form on key exercises, do them frequently, do them often, and try to lift more weight over time. As you start to progress through, <clears throat> start to think about how can I make this better? How can I make this exercise better? How can I work my lats better? And that's where those sorts of exercise selection things and those different sort of cues come in and they start to make a difference. Um, I suppose one thing to kind of take in mind is that with exercise selection, and it's, it's very, very much, I'm gonna make the kind of the, the relation to, uh, to diet here, is that it's very much an issue of finding what seems to work best for you and what is something that you can continuously do while you're still making progress. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, um, you know, that's from a, an adherence to that exercise program point of view is it's hugely important. A bit like, you know, the method of dieting that you select is hugely important. And then also understanding what kind of just works for you in the gym. You know, you can talk to your blue in the face about, oh, this exercise should be great. And then the person just might not be able to feel it. They might just not be able to get it. It's just too complicated for them. They can't kind of coordination wise, it doesn't really work for them. Um, so you have to know that and adapt to it, but don't cast an exercise out because it's just a bit hard. <laughs> so that's kind of the general point. Okay, um, so I genuinely think we could, we could literally talk about exercise and exercise selection and just training in general for hours. Um, but I'm very, very conscious of your time because you've been very generous with us already. Um, what, what um, uh, just before we finish up, um, would you be able to kind of tell anybody who might be interested in kind of hearing more of your thoughts on training or knowing more about you? Would you be able to tell us how people can find you um, on social media or on the web? Sure, I, I'm all over that sort of stuff. So um, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram, it's like where I hang out the most. So at iron underscore paradise underscore fitness. You can also go to ironparadisefitness.com um, where I write a bunch of articles that you can go and read if reading with your eyes is your thing. Um, I also have um, a podcast. So it's called Muscle Mindset and Meal Prep, which Richie has been on. And that has got, I think, by the time of recording this right now, about 280 episodes. So wow. So you've got like stuff on nutrition, stuff on training, stuff on mindset, um, as the title suggests. Um, so, and there's some pretty cool interviews as well. So for example, if you want to learn more about building muscle, I've interviewed the hypertrophy coach, so Joe Bennett, who's like very well known in the industry. And he goes into some of the concepts that we talked about, but maybe from a more advanced level. So if you want to go listen to that, that's cool. Um, you can find me on YouTube, you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on LinkedIn, if you're on there. You can find me on TikTok these days. So. <laughs> you really have all media covered, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to be all over that sort of stuff. I think my, my, my thing now is I'm 95% uh, a marketer and 5% coach, but I'm trying, I'm trying to redress the balance a bit. I, I think a lot of people at some point in their uh, coaching career get there um, uh, when they realize that, you know, yeah, you've got to actually market what you do to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%.
Um, Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you about this. Um, we, we may actually have to get you on again because I think we could have gone on for a long time about that. Um, I'm going to say thank you for giving us your time and giving us your expertise. Um, and hopefully we will be chatting again very, very soon. No worries, brother. You take it easy. Have a good evening. Pleasure. You too. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please, please, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps spread word of the podcast to new listeners. If you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live uh, or ask questions for our guests, you can do so by following me on Instagram at Be More Nutrition. Uh, I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.